You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning. Merry Christmas, everyone. So great to see you all here. Um, I was thinking about that expression this week, Merry Christmas, and, and I was thinking about how in this day and age, we pretty much never use that word Merry anymore, except at Christmas time when we say Merry Christmas, right? Like if someone asks you any, any other time of the year, hey, how's it going? You, you never respond with, oh, me, actually, I'm feeling quite merry today, right? Like, I, I'm, it sounds like something that British people would still say, but uh, in... I'm not going to do that for you. Uh, that would be an insult to, to all Brits. But um, no, it's basically a word that's been sidelined in North America, at least, except for, again, at Christmas time. And because of this, I think it's kind of lost the fullness of its meaning as well. And, and I've noticed recently, though, that people have started saying, I wish you a happy Christmas, which is a nice sentiment. But linguistically, the word happy isn't really a great replacement for the word merry, Happiness, of course, is a feeling or, or a mood that occurs in response to good circumstances. But being merry is, is a lively expression of rejoicing and cheer. It indicates or is characterized by a celebration, right? And so, so I'd argue that maybe a better replacement for the word merry, if we were going to replace it, would be something like joyous or, or joyful. We wish you a joyful Christmas. That, that kind of has a nice ring to it, right? Of course, according to the Bible, that's what Christmas is for, to bring joy to the world. We, we just sang that a moment ago in the song, Oh Holy Night, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. The purpose of Christmas was to give a reason for a weary world to rejoice. And uh, speaking of the reason for Christmas, over the course of this Advent season, we've been asking that question, why Christmas? Well, why did it occur? Why do we have Christmas? And, and we've discovered through the use of alliteration, but I don't know if you've noticed that, by using the letter R uh, to help us remember, we, we've discovered that Christmas is firstly about revelation, about, like about God revealing himself, about the invisible and glorious God making himself and his truth and his love known through the person and work of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And secondly, that it's about repentance, which is a positive thing. It's, it's a call to turn from our worldly ways and to look on Jesus with faith and to see him, be changed by him, which then leads us to the result of those two things, which is reconciliation. Reconciliation, how Jesus, because of God's love for us, came to reconcile the sinful world with God through humbly and willingly taking the wages of humanity's sin which had been separating us from God, and he took it upon himself at the cross. So we've been learning all these things. And finally, this morning, we'll discover that there's only one acceptable response to receiving God's gifts of of revelation, repentance, and reconciliation, which have been graciously given to us through Jesus Christ. And that's to rejoice, to rejoice, to praise God, to worship him, for what he's done for us and in us. And this is just as the Apostle Paul wrote while he was sitting in a Roman prison. In, in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Of course, this is the very message that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds on that first Christmas morning as well from Luke 2, 10 to 11, which says, the angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. So the, the advent or the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of good news, of great joy. This is the reason we rejoice. The good news of great joy was given to us through the incarnation of Christ. When Jesus, according to God's promises in Scripture, fulfilling multiple prophecies, came into the sinful world, in the weary world, to redeem us. And when we read through the, the narrative of the, of the birth of Jesus that's found in the Gospels, we, we see this joy being expressed over and over again. Uh, when the angels rejoice, when the shepherds and the wise men, they come and worship Jesus and they rejoice, all are rejoicing at his birth. But, but we see this especially so when, when Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth before Jesus is even born. At, at this point, both are pregnant with their promised children, Mary with Jesus, the Son of God, and Elizabeth with John, who would become John the Baptist. And, and, and they're, so so they're, they're hanging out together. And I'm just going to read what happens. Luke 1, 39 to 55. It says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is, he, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And so... We read there that, that as soon as Mary entered the room where her cousin Elizabeth was, uh, John, who's still a developing baby in her womb, leapt for joy at simply being in the presence of Jesus, who is still in Mary's womb. And then Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she joyfully exclaimed a, a blessing over Mary for her faith, and of course, over Jesus, whom, whom she refers to as Lord. In fact, Elizabeth actually becomes the first person to refer to Jesus as Lord. And then Mary, in response to this joy, breaks out into song and recites what we now call the Magnificat. She, she writes, again, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
So much joy, so much rejoicing. As a theologian, Tabitiani Abuile writes, these two women meet together and erupt with joy. They're not just joyful because they're both having babies, which is totally joyful, right? But no, they know the Lord has shown them favor. They know the inside scoop on God's plans for their children. Their joy is supernatural. It's a supernatural joy founded on the certainty of hope that God's promises to make everything right have been and will be fulfilled in Christ. And from our perspective, on the other side of of Christ's death and resurrection, and and as we now await the second coming of Christ when everything will be made new and every knee will bow before him as Lord, how much more should we be rejoicing in Christ? And in the promises of God, knowing what we know, seeing what we've seen, right? We, we, and, and so I think we need to be reminded of this joy, that it's come to us, that it's been freely given to us. And it should fill us with hope for what's to come. In fact, God wants us to know it and, and experience it, even in the midst of all the brokenness that we still endure in this life. And on that end, it is important to note that that when the Bible talks of joy and, and, and of a reason for rejoicing, it's, it's not just talking about a feeling or, or, or experience of happiness that's gained through emotional highs or, or from things or circumstances that, that can come and go. No, the joy of Christ is supernatural and everlasting because what he accomplished in us and for us is everlasting. Biblical joy is meant to be eternal. As, as Tim Mackey, who is narrating that video, as he exclaims of joy, he says, it's an attitude God's people adopted, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. I love that. So, so Christians should be the most joyful people regardless of our circumstances, because our joy is founded on what Jesus has done for us and on what's to come and on who we now are in him as redeemed sons and daughters in his kingdom. Again, we rejoice because he's rescued us from sin and death and restored us with him. Psalm 51, 8 to 12, it's, it's a prayer for joy. I want to I read that to you. This is King David speaking, and he says, Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. So King David is, is praying in this psalm that his joy would be renewed, which is something I, I think that we can all relate to at times in our lives. Maybe some of you relate to that this morning. You want to experience that joy again. But you'll notice that he's also praying with, with a clear theological and and humble understanding of what's been keeping him from this joy, and in turn, what will restore his joy and his celebration. 
And, and the problem, he writes, that's keeping him from knowing this joy isn't circumstance, but rather it's, it's his sin and his guilt, right? His, his rebellion against God. Dr. James Boyce adds to this idea when he says, nothing destroys joy except sin. And David knows this. His, his guilty deeds have weighed him down and crushed his spirit. His enmity and, and rebellion has disabled and disqualified him from being in the presence of the holy God, our source of joy. And so the only way for his joy to be restored, he writes, is, is threefold. He says three things. He, he says, is only by the grace and faithfulness of God alone. And second, by being purified from his sin and made new. And third, through dwelling in the presence of God and being filled with his spirit. Those three things need to happen for his joy to be returned. He knows this. And the good news that the angels declared to the shepherds and which Mary sings about in her Magnificat is that Jesus would be and is the direct answer to all of those aspects of his prayer. Not just for David, but for Israel, for all mankind, and for the world, all who would believe in his name by faith. Jesus is the solution to our joylessness. By the mercy of God and by his grace alone, through Jesus, we're forgiven and purified of from sin. We are restored with our relationship with God and filled by his spirit. Jesus alone came to restore for us the joy of our salvation. Which again is, is why we as Christians are able to rejoice even in the, the darkest moments because that joy is based on what Jesus has done and who we are in him. And, and this is important to note because, let's be honest, we do live in, in a weary world. We do live in a world with, with struggles, with heartache, with war, with division, with hunger and poverty and injustice and stress and anxiety and, and offense and disease and loss. There, there's so much heaviness. There's so much weariness in this world. But yet we can still rejoice in the midst of all of that because his joy in us is everlasting. And it fills us with the hope that because he's already won the victory, that ultimately one day when he comes again, everything will be made right. We can rejoice because, as Jesus has said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. On that note, one of the incredible things about the backdrop and setting of the birth of Jesus is that, yes, it was a people were rejoicing and they were joyful, but the circumstances and, and, and events at play during and after it weren't very joyous. We can read that some of the people who understood it were filled with hope and joy, as I said, but without knowing what they knew, their attitude wouldn't make sense to us at all with what was going on around them. The backdrop of the Christmas story before, during, and after is actually scandal, it's poverty, it's murder, it's greed, it's corrupt leaders like King Herod and the Romans, but yet somehow interjected into all this hardship and brokenness. Again, great joy. Joy and hope in the glory of God. A thrill of hope when the weary world rejoiced. And so again, this is a joy that not only exists, but actually abounds even in hard times. Even through persecutions and trials. Even, even through moments of despair and sorrow. Through hurt and offense. 
through times of separation and, and isolation, and even and especially in the most sinful and hard-hearted of hearts, that's the good news of the Christmas story, that joy came to us in the midst of our sin and sorrow, and it's here to stay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will is to fill our hearts with rejoicing and thanksgiving. That's why Jesus came on Christmas Day. In fact, to know Jesus means the joy of our salvation is actually now written into our, into our DNA and is both sustained and cultivated by the presence of his spirit within us. We, we carry this joy with us. It's our strength to persevere and press on. It's, it's, it's our call to worship. It's who we are. And if you don't know this kind of joy, I, I want to encourage you to use Psalm 51 as a, as a prayer this morning, to, to humbly come before God and to pray this psalm. Pray, pray what he prays, return to me the joy of my salvation. And then humbly acknowledge and believe with faith that Jesus is the answer to this prayer, to your prayer, and you will be saved. You will know the joy of your salvation. You'll experience the answer to the prayer of Romans 15, 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's what Advent is all about. The arrival of Christ was always meant to be a thrill of hope that would fill our hearts with everlasting joy. That's the only acceptable way to respond to Jesus to give thanks and rejoice in what God has done. But this leads us to one final thing that I want to talk about this morning, which is, is that this joy, as the angels declare, wasn't just for the shepherds. It was for all people. It's meant to be displayed throughout the world. As the angels declared to them, this is good news of great joy for all people. And as Mary reminds us in her song, she, she says, The Lord's mercy is for all those who fear him from generation to generation, to all Abraham's offspring, to the spiritually hungry, poor, and humble. Right? Or as the song based on Psalm 98 says, Joy to the world, not just joy for me, but joy to the world the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. People need to hear this joy. They need to see this joy. So what this means is that as Christians, we, we need and should desire to carry this joy of the Lord with us at all times in every area of our lives so that the world sees it. And I'm not talking about being fake happy. That, don't, don't be like creepy happy, right? That's not what I'm talking about. We, we need to be honest as well in, in our sorrow and in our grief and in our despair, but rather, we should show the world that Christ's joy is, is our continual and unwavering source of strength and hope in the midst of it. And speaking of which, it's, it's also no secret that the, you know, the influence of Christianity in our culture and in our society is dwindling. And arguably, part of the reason for this, I think a huge reason for this, actually, is that the world isn't seeing our joy. They often see the opposite, actually. Uh, author and theologian Greg Forster writes, Christianity is losing its influence in contemporary society because people outside the church just don't encounter the joy of God as much as they used to. Christians want to pull a lever and see the world change. 
political involvement is not the issue. The joy of God is the issue. Remember, the joy of God is the state of flourishing in mind, heart, and life that Christians experience by the Holy Spirit. We've been so anxious to influence society in the past century that we've ended up going after a lot of shortcuts. For some, it's politics. For some, it's education. For some, it's evangelism. We've been pulling a lot of levers, which is okay, right? But the common thread is that we're pulling these levers so hard, we leave no space for people to encounter the joy of God. So, again, according to this, one of the main reasons we've, we've lost our influence in culture is, is because we're not putting the joy of Christ on display for the world to see and encounter. But the world needs to see it. The weary world needs to see it, to see the reality of the joy of the Lord in us through the way we joyfully love and give and serve one another and the poor and the marginalized. They need to see it displayed in the way we work as unto the Lord and in the way we rejoice and remain steadfast through difficult seasons. And when we gather as the church like this to worship God with our full heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's our joy in the Lord in every area of our lives that makes people notice that something's different about us. And that's what Jesus came to bring. So let's, let's ask ourselves, How can I bring the joy of the Lord that's been freely given to me through the love of Christ? How can I bring that joy into the world, into people's lives, into my workplaces, into my school, into my home? That's what will cause people to ask us what we're all about. And that's when we can tell them that we're all about Jesus, that Jesus makes our joy complete. As 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what it looks like to know the unwavering and wonderful joy of the Lord. In a moment, Pastor Brad will be lighting the Christ candle for us and inviting us, as he does so, to reflect on Jesus' birth and, and, and what, what is accomplished through it. And after he does so, I want to invite you to, to respond in the only acceptable way, to rejoice, to rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because through Jesus, we've received the salvation of our souls.